Amazing. You are all awesome, right? You are all awesome. I just love being up here and just being able to tell you that. It is like the best thing I do. What are you laughing for? Because Chris is awesome. We she agrees. Like, okay, before you sit down, why don't we applaud the tech team? Because who saw the Christmas lights on their way in today? How awesome do they look? Thank you, tech team, production, for making that happen. And Dave. No? The production team. Oh, Joe and Joe Nickel. Give her a round of applause. <laughs> Brilliant. Why don't you take your seat? Amazing. Do you know what? I got to go on the tech team last week. About a month ago, they were like, oh, we don't know how we're going to do tonight. We're, we're one person short. And I'm like, you're one person short. Like, what Like, what do you need them to do? Is it? Is it easy? Is it something that I can help you with? They're like, all we need is one person to press one button. I'm like, I can, I can join the tech team. <laughs> But I, I, they, did, they then didn't need me on that day. But yeah, last week, they went, Michelle, Michelle, today, we need you to press the button. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And then it was about to start, and I realized they didn't tell me which button to press. <laughs> but it was the one that said cut. Yeah, I can remember now. So uh, this is a little advert, because like, we never hear much about the tech team. But I would like to say that the tech team is one of the best teams. I can't say the best team because I'll get into trouble. One of the best teams, because all our teams are awesome in church. And if you have a desire to serve God in a quiet kind of way, then uh, why don't you go talk to Ollie Wilson, who is right in the middle here, because he would love you to go join the tech team because they are epic. So thank you, Ollie. Thank you, team, for everything you do week in, week out. We love you. We appreciate you. And uh, we know that we could not do it without you. So thank you. But anyway, tonight, um, tonight we are beginning the next books of the Bible. So if you have been in Valley Church for a while, that you will know that we are trying to get through the whole of the Bible and um, many theological issues within seven years, which sounds like a lot, right? But it is amazing. And I actually get to um, begin one and two Samuel tonight, which I think are two of the best books in the Bible. Now, actually, they were written as one book. And the only reason that we have two books is because basically the Bible was written on a scroll. And the scroll, by the time they got to the end of 1 Samuel, was so big that they had to then start the second one. So when the translators came to translate it, they actually divided um, the book of Samuel, because it was just Samuel up, into two books, which is 1 and 2 Samuel. So we have it quite easy, because when you look at your Bible, instead of having a massive scroll, we just have a few pages. So I want to encourage you um, to read them. So if you have never read the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, or if you have and you haven't read them for a while, why don't you take the opportunity this month to read 1 and 2 Samuel? Um, because they are just incredible. And uh, if you want to know a little bit about what is in them before you do it, apart from what I'm going to tell you right now, then you can go and Google the Bible Project. And you can get a pretty little drawing um, unfolding the whole of the story for you to watch before you then dive into the book. So you can get an understanding of what is actually going on. So I want to encourage you right now as I begin to actually do that. But if you've never read the book of 1 and 2 Samuel, they're a little bit like a Netflix series. 
Now, bear with me a second, because in the book of 1 and 2 Samuel, we have battles to beauty. We have intrigue to incest. We have scheming to romance. We have victory and murder. We have superstition and mediums. We have prophet and priests. We have the palaces and temples of Israel, and all based around the rise and fall of two great kings, the promise and demise of a dynasty, and finally, the establishment of a royal line of kings. In fact, the royal line of kings that ended with Jesus himself, the king of kings. So have I got your attention? Are you with me? Are you excited to begin unpacking this book? Amazing. Well, if you've got your Bible, why don't you put your finger in the beginning of 1 Samuel. We are going to pick bits out as we go along. And once you've done that, I'm going to pray. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you are with us. God, we thank you that every word um, in the Bible is inspired. We thank you, God, that you want to teach us something from it. And we thank you, God, um, that there is so much more that you want us to learn. So God, tonight, we give to you ourselves. God, we pray that you will speak. God, that you will use your word to change lives and bring hope and healing. Um, God, we thank you for what you're going to do. Help our hearts be open and listening to what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So the book of 1 and 2 Samuel. Uh, The book of 1 and 2 Samuel are actually about three men. Um, The first one, as you would imagine, is called Samuel. And then we have two great kings. We have Saul, who was the first king of Israel, and David, whom, if you've been in church for the last few weeks, we have been talking about as we've looked at the book of Psalms. The book of Samuel um, are set in the time of history where the Israelites have been rescued from captivity. They've made their way to Canaan, and they are now living in the promised land. Now, when they were first there, they were ruled by judges. So basically, if you read the book of Judges, then you will get some of the back story. It is just a couple of books before Samuel. It kind of went a little bit like this. So the people would go on living their lives, and then they would forget about God. They would fall into moral sin. They would then start worshipping idols, at which point God would send another nation to oppress them until they cried out to God. And then when they cried out to God, he would send a judge to rescue them. The judge would rescue them. They would turn back to God again. All would be nice and merry for a little while. And then guess what? The cycle begins again. They then fall into moral sin. They get follow idols. They get oppressed. And so this went on. And this went on for many, many years. And the kind of people that God sent were people like Gideon, Deborah, or Samson, some of which you will have heard of. Um, And so as we come to the books of Samuel, we come to a transition. This perhaps is something we understand a little bit with what has gone on in our recent history, going from our queen to King Charles, um, maybe going from Boris Johnson to um, Rishi Sunak via Liz Truss. (laughs) However, it was way more significant for the Israelites than it even is for us because actually what they were doing, they were rejecting the rule of God and the fact that God was sending them judges and they were wanting to be like everyone else around them. They wanted a king to rule them who would be a warrior, who would be somebody that the nations around them would look to as the person who was um, powerful so that they then wouldn't invade the Israelites. And so this is what the Israelites were looking for in a king. It was, however, no surprise to God. God was fully aware of this. And back when the Israelites were wandering around the desert, he had actually told Moses the kind of king they should choose when they asked for one. So before we get right into the book, we're going to read Deuteronomy chapter 17 and start at verse 14. It says these words. 
When you enter the land the Lord your God has given you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, when you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites, and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. And so we see this is the kind of king that God wanted for Israel. And so the stage is set for the transition from God leading the people through the judges to the appointment of a godly king to lead and rule. And so we begin 1 Samuel and we begin it as Hannah, a devout and godly woman, is there crying out to God. She's crying out to God with such passion and such desperation that the priest who is in the temple watching her thinks that she has been drinking. She's pleading with God to give her a child. A child that if God grants her request that she promises to give back to God, to give back to God to serve him in the temple. So God hears her cry, he hears her prayer and she gives birth to Samuel. And as promised, once Samuel is weaned, scholars say between 22 months and five years. Now, I think it's probably a little bit more like five years. For the simple reason, it says in there um, that the boy worshipped. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have had a 22-month-old boy, it's hard enough to get them to stand still in one place, let alone them to get to worship. And I'm just not sure how Eli would have felt about having like a 22-month boy running around the temple. So I reckon, we, well, I imagine that Samuel was probably more like a five-year-old. And so Hannah gives her son back to God. Like, that's a wrench, right? That's such a wrench, such a sacrifice to serve in his temple under the direction of Eli, who was a high priest. In 1 Samuel 1.27, it says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And so Samuel the boy grows up in the temple, and Eli the priest helps him to listen to God's voice. He helps him to hear from God. And I'm sure some of you will know the story way back from Sunday school, which is absolutely incredible of how Samuel as a boy learns to hear God's voice. And he asks God to speak because he, his servant, is listening. And so as Samuel grows up, God continues to speak to him and he becomes a prophet, which means that he represents God to the people. So this is all going on. Meanwhile, Eli has two sons. Now, these two sons are total scoundrels, and they are absolutely not fit to follow um, Eli as a priest. And in one day, it's a bit brutal this, in one day, both of the sons die. And Eli, who was sat on a stool at the time, apparently was a little overweight, fell off and died. Don't know. Come on, everybody. You're with me. You're with me? And so 
As well as being a prophet, Samuel becomes the high priest of Israel. And as we read in this book, he's also the last judge. So, as I mentioned earlier, are you, like, I'm telling you the history because it's important, right? We're going to get to the point, but you need to know what is actually going on up to this point. Um, because this is the overview of the book. So, as I mentioned earlier, the people are complaining. They want a king to be like all the other nations around them. They want a king to lead them into battle and to look powerful so that other nations won't invade them. So, God leads Samuel to appoint Saul as the first king of Israel. And then later on, to appoint David when Saul messes up. And so we can read in the books of Samuel about the rise and fall of both of these kings. So now you've got the story. What is God trying to tell us in these books? Well, obviously, we've heard about the transition. This book is about the transition from the judges to the kings. But I believe the main theme can actually be found in Psalm of David, Psalm 20, verses 7 to 8. And that verse says these words. It says, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. We rise up and stand firm. And if you remember from the passage we read in Deuteronomy, the kind of king that God wanted was one that trusted him and followed his ways. A king that meditated on his words. He had to write the instruction on the scroll and read it every day. He had to meditate on the word of God and not consider himself better than those around. And for those of you who have looked a bit at the history, we know that Saul didn't really manage this. He could have, but he didn't. However, David did. Was David perfect? No. Was his family perfect? Absolutely not. Oh my goodness, his family was absolutely crazy. So tonight, what was it that made David a man after God's own heart, as he was described? We've been singing about it, so let's take a look. So my first point is this. David was reliant on God. David was reliant on God. See, both Saul and David were warriors. They fought battles. They won wars. So we're not talking about being like a timid, weird kind of like Christian person who, you know, just puts your head down and relies on God. We're talking about um, someone who had confidence, not someone who was pushed down, but we're actually talking about someone who has trust and confidence that comes from God. The kind of trust and confidence that helps us to do the great things that we have been created to do. The kind of reliance, when we truly rely on God, that rather than pushing our heads down, raises our heads up. We read in 1 Samuel 23 verse 4, David inquired of the Lord. And again, in 1 Samuel 30, in pretty desperate situation, where David's two wives, Ahinoam and Abigail, had both been captured, David again inquired of the Lord. So David prayed. Then in Psalm 119, verse 105, David writes, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. See, David prayed and David turned to the word of God for answers. Are you inquiring of God for your situation, for your leading, for your guiding? And I don't just mean going to God with a quick prayer and saying, you know, hi, God. You know, please give me a really great day today. You know what? I reckon when David's wives were captured, he wasn't just saying that, but I reckon he was on his knees. I reckon he was crying out to God. I reckon that he was pleading with God. And if you want to know how David prayed, you can read the Psalms. His prayers are real. His prayers are passionate. His prayers are sometimes in great anguish. His prayers are other times out of anger and pleading and petitioning God. They're full of expectation. 
They're full of gratitude. They're full of knowing what God has already done and what he has promised. They're full of detail. They're not just vague. They say what he is asking for. They state the truth that God is his rock and his fortress, the one who looks after him in his time of need. He prophesies that over his situation. If you had one of your family taken, if you knew God could change your situation, would you just give him a minute of every day? Or would you seek him? Would you petition him? Would you get down on his knees and wait for him to answer? You know, there's a great deal we can do. And I know God expects us to do what is within our power. But when we know God, when we rely on him, when we trust the one who can do the impossible, if you've really trusted God in a situation, I'm sure you can look back at things in your own life where you've seen God come through to you. I know when I have, when I've gone seriously to God in prayer, I've received words and pictures and direction. I've seen a change of heart, both in my heart and in the hearts of other people around. I've gained more courage, more clarity, and more, my ability has grown. I've had my perspective change. I found things that were lost, and I've seen God heal and so much more. You know, I know that when I trust God, he can move a mountain. And I know when you trust God, he can move the mountain before you. But you know, I also know he can get me to the other side of it. You know, if he chooses not to move the mountain, God is with me on the other side. Sadly, Saul didn't seek God that way, but David did. Instead, Saul thought he could just do it his own way. He could just get by doing life himself, which ended up with him being rejected by God. And a life that could have been victorious sadly ended prematurely. But David, we read, inquired of the Lord. And then we read, he did what the Lord commanded. The second thing we notice about David is this. David had a repentant heart. David had a repentant heart. Now, if you know your Bibles, you'll know that both Saul and David messed up big time. Yep, they were human, just like you and just like me. And the situations that they were in had far-reaching consequences. Saul disobeyed God. He consulted a medium. He didn't follow the commands of God, and he trusted in his abilities rather than God's. David, instead of going to war with his army, stayed home. When he should have been off fighting, he saw a beautiful woman on the roof of her house. He slept with her. She got pregnant. He tried to cover it up. He got a, tried, then he got a husband killed and then married her out. Unsurprisingly, both men were confronted by a prophet. It's just not a surprise, right? But how did they respond to the challenge? Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And we first find Samuel speaking to Saul. 1 Samuel 15 verse 19 says this. Saul, why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission that the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God, at Gilgal. He's saying, I kind of got it right, Samuel. Honestly, I killed almost everyone that God told me to do. Well, except the king. And obviously, everyone else took all the cattle and the sheep. But really, it was for a good cause. It was because we were going to sacrifice them to God. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. 
For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. See, Saul tried to justify himself. He didn't repent. He tried to make out that he'd done pretty much what was asked of him. And at that point, he was rejected as king. So if that was Saul, what happened to David? Was his heart the same as Saul? Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7. And this passage, we find it's Nathan that's speaking to David, Nathan the prophet. It says this, Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and all of Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down and killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Therefore, now the sword will not depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Verse 11, this is what the Lord says, out of your household I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then Nathan, then David said to Nathan, his response, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Like two not very great situations. But how is your heart when someone confronts you? How is your heart when someone comes to you and says, hey, explain to me what was going on here? How is your heart when someone challenges you? What's your reaction when you're confronted by God? Are you quick to repent? Or do you, like Saul, seek to justify yourself? I know, sometimes I'm quick to say sorry. But other times, you've kind of got to drag it out of yourself, right? How easy does sorry come to you? I think this is something we need to practice more of. God wants us to have a repentant heart. The Bible says that David was quick to repent and God removed his sin. You know, he still carried the consequences of his action, but he wasn't living any longer with God as his enemy. His repentance meant there were no barriers between him and God. He was forgiven His relationship with God was restored. He was able then to speak with God again and to cry out to God for the life of his child. You know, God didn't grant his request, but because he had repented, he could go forwards. When the child was taken away, it says he he got up, he washed himself, and he comforted his wife. Then he didn't stay mad at God. But we, move, we re, sorry, but we read in verse 29 that he moved on. He mustered the army and he went to war where he should have been in the first place. How's your heart today? Is there anything creating a barrier between you and God? Is there anything that you know in your life is wrong that you're holding onto? Is there anything at all that is getting in the way of the blessing that God wants to pour into your life and the power of him working in your life? How is your heart today? Is it time you repented? Is it time that you went to him and said sorry? Is it time you cried out to God? If you want to move on, you have to give it to God and leave it there. 
So David had a repentant heart, a heart after God. Thirdly, David recognized that victory belonged to God. David recognized that victory belonged to God. In 1 Samuel 17, we find the story of David and Goliath. We find David, a shepherd boy, fighting one-on-one with a giant. Sounds mad, right? But neither Saul nor any other soldier would do it, which David didn't understand because he knew God. And so let's read from verse 32. It says this, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight, for you are only a young man and he has been a warrior since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord will be with you. So young David goes alone, a young man to face Goliath, the nine foot nine-ish tall giant warrior Goliath. And then verse 45, David says to Goliath, You come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So how could David be so bold? David knew the battle, the victory belonged to God. David knew before the battle even happened that the victory was coming, and this was just the beginning. We go on to read time and time again how the Lord delivered foreign armies into David's hands. In 2 Samuel 8 verse 6, we read, The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. What an incredible truth. How would you love that to be over your life? But David knew the victories were not his. He recognized the hand of God in his victories. So how about us? Do you recognize the hand of God in your victories? In the things that happen in your life, do you recognize that God is working? It may not be a physical battle, you know, but we all have battles in life, right? In our home life, in our work life, with our families, with our finances, and so much more. David recognized that the victory belonged to God. And that meant that he could trust God with his battles. His battles belonged to God. Fourthly, David had respect and honor for King Saul. David had respect and honor for King Saul. Even though Saul made it his mission to seek David out and to try and take his life, David, even though he had opportunity to kill Saul, never once harmed him. We read this time and time again. In 1 Samuel 26, we find David speaking to Saul after showing him that he had the opportunity to take his life. Verse 23 says, The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord surely delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way and Saul returned home. Who is in authority over you in your life? Is it... Your government? Is it your family? Is it your boss or your leader? 
What can we learn from David? David honoured Saul his king to the end. And that meant he received a blessing. You know what? If you honour the people that God has put over you in your life, the Bible says that you will receive a blessing. You know, young people, if you're like arguing with your parents all the time, you don't feel very blessed, right? But when you come under their authority, under godly authority, you will receive a blessing. At work with your boss, you know, or your teacher, if you're arguing with them all the time, you don't feel very blessed. But when you come under their authority, you will receive a blessing. And fifthly, and finally, David waited for God's timing. David waited for God's timing. In fact, David lived a long time in the waiting. While Saul was trying to kill David, David had already been anointed king by Samuel. He knew he was next on the throne. But David wasn't pushing his own agenda. David waited for God's time, and he wouldn't harm the king. He even went and fought battles incognito and destroyed the enemies of Saul. Neither did he rush after Saul's death to go and take the crown. In fact, we read in 2 Samuel 2, in the course of time, David went up. We don't know how long it was, but we know it was long enough for somebody else to actually step in and try and take, you know, the nation. But David waited for God's time. He wasn't worried. He knew the crown was to be his, and so he waited. We read in 2 Samuel 3 verse 1 that he waited even longer. It says that the war between the house of Saul and David lasted a long time. And David grew stronger and stronger. The house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. You know, church, sometimes things don't happen overnight. Sometimes you don't get the answer to the prayer that you are praying straight away. You might have been praying for something for a long time. Can I encourage you? Keep going. Keep going. Because there's one thing for sure. If you give up in the middle, guess what? You're not going to get to the other side. God's promises are still yes and amen in your life. They may not turn out to be what you want them to be. It may be difficult, but you have to keep going. You have to refuse to give up if you want to get to the other side. Are you prepared like David to keep waiting and to keep trusting God for his timing? So a central theme in the book of Samuel is wholehearted trust in God. And I believe as the band come up, these five things that we see in the life of David will help us. They'll help us to live a life where we can totally trust in God. In 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 we read, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at your heart. These books are all about the direction of our heart. It begins and ends with prayer. starts with Hannah praying, ends with David praying. But the fundamental message of these books can be summed up in these two verses psalm 20 verse 7 to 8 some trust in chariots and some in horses but we trust in the name of the lord our god they are brought to their knees and fall but we rise up and stand firm saul could have been a great king he could have been a great king but he was ruled by his anger he was driven by his insecurity which came from his pride He was so concerned about the opinions of others that his lack of trust in God was his undoing. And you know, some of us are living like Saul. And today, God wants to tell you, that is not who you are. That is not who you are. You're better than this. You're more than this. There is so much more in you that you are not walking in. 
young people. God has put desires and dreams inside of you. There is potential in you to do great things, to be great businessmen, to be teachers, to be lawyers, to be pastors, to be youth workers, to be plumbers, electricians, psychologists, police officers, nurses, doctors, and so much more. He has gifted you with wisdom, with strength, with discernment, with intelligence, with compassion. The world needs you to stand tall. God wants to give you a gift of influence, but you have to stand tall to walk in that influence. The world needs you to stop wasting your time and getting dragged into things that are going to hold you back and limit your future. You're better than that. You're better than that. There is so much more that is in you that is waiting to come out. Men, there's more in you. There is more in you and you know it. It's time to step up. It's time to stop procrastinating. It's time to step into your calling that God has on your life. It's time to stop messing about and letting your desires, laziness, lack of purpose for some of you, maybe anger hold you back. You're better than this. It's time to step into your calling. Your wife needs you. The girls in this church need you. Your children need you. They need you to get hold of your emotions. They need you to start engaging with real life. Honestly, when you do that, the atmosphere in your house is going to change. Things like TV, football, computer games, I don't know, whatever is your thing, whatever is taking your time, is robbing your family of the person that you are. Whatever it is that stops you being in the present, you know what? We need you. We need you to speak inspiration. We need you to speak encouragement. We need you to, to, to speak value into the people around you. God needs you. And he says there's more in you. He's put you where you are for a reason. Men, we need you to step up like David stepped up. There is more in you. Women, stop worrying about what people think. Stop worrying about what people think. Stop comparing yourself to everyone else. Stop worrying about what you look like. Stop seeking, insignif stop seeking significance in things that don't matter. Things like this are like shifting sand. They don't last. You're not about what you look like. You're not about the title you carry or even what you do. God has made you and created you to be a woman of substance. He has created you for others to look up to. You know, the girls in this church, they need you to shine for who you are. Our daughters need to see it in us. Some of you are scared. You think you don't fit in. Girls, you keep changing who you are depending on who you're with. You're so desperate to be thought of as not any different to everyone else in trying to be like everyone else, but they actually look at you and they want to be like you. They would love to have what you have. They would love to have your brains, love to have your family, your home. They would love to have your faith. They would love to be surrounded by the people that you are surrounded with. You know, our culture, they, they want to tell us it's all about the party. They want to tell us it's all about instant gratification and how you feel. It's how you look on the outside. But you know what? The morning after is shocking. And it will suck the very life out of you. As I was thinking about this message, I was reminded of the story of Pinocchio. Um, at the end of the story of Pinocchio, he gets pulled into this big party where there's fairground rise and it looks amazing. And then he gets inside and he realizes that it isn't all that it was cracked up to be. And actually, he comes out desperate. And that's what's on the other side of the things that the culture may look shiny and bright. Girls,
just look at what you do have. Start seeing what is in you and what you can do. There is so much more in you. There is so much potential on your life. And if you will walk into it, your future is huge. Church. At the end of 2 Samuel, we find David praying a prayer. He says this. He says, I will not give God a sacrifice that costs nothing. You know what? There's a cost to stepping up. There is a cost to stepping up. It is not comfortable. It is not easy. And it is against the flow of our culture. But God is calling us to it. The people around us are literally dying for it. And you know what? We're ready for it. We are ready for it. So church, will you stand with me? Will you live for a higher calling? If you want to see a change in your family, if you want to see a change in your workplace, if you want to see a change in your business, if you want to see a change in your marriage, will you stand with me? And will you ask God to come through? Will you ask him to help you to step up? Will you ask him to help you to step into all that he has for you so that instead of being and living a life like Saul, you can live a life like David that can see the giants, the Goliaths in your life come down. Let's pray. God, you know our hearts. God, you know that we're flawed. God, you know, like David, we haven't got it all together. But God, sinners though we are, flawed as we are, God, weak as we are, God, tonight you call us on. God, you call us into our potential. God, you call us to live a higher life. God, you call us to rely on you. God, you call us to live in repentance. God, you call us to live as soldiers for you. God, I pray for every single person in this place who is going, count me in, who's going, God, that's the life I want to live. God, I pray that you will help us to see mountains move. God, that you will help us to get to the other side of those mountains. God, that as we wait, God, that we will know the battle belongs to you, God, that the victory is yours, God, and that you have a destiny and a purpose for our lives. So God, tonight, we give ourselves to you again. God, we put our hand in yours, and God, we say, will you use us? God, won't you take us? And won't you take us on to all that you have for us? God, we don't want to offer you a sacrifice that costs nothing, but God, we want to offer you again our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We every, with every head bowed and I close, I also want to just say, I, know, I don't know, there's people in here who maybe don't know God. Maybe you're standing here today, but you've never experienced the power of God that I've talked about in David's life. And you have a desire within you not just to go with the flow, not just to be sucked in with the crowd, but actually to, to stand up and to be counted and to make a difference in the lives of those around you. You know, Jesus Christ came. And he went to the cross. He took all your sin. He took all your pain. He took all your rejection. And he just offers you new life. He wants to take you away from the distractions. He wants to take you away from the things that actually will not bring hope and healing and life. And he wants to give you a new heart. The Bible says he can give you a clean heart. He can give you a pure heart. And you can walk into a future that you have for him. As you turn to him, as you repent, you say sorry for living life your own way. And if you want to do that tonight, then I just want to simply offer you that invitation because that's what God does. Jesus has paid the price for your life. Just like David knew God, he didn't have all the answers. You don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to know exactly what this is going to look like. All you have to do is have faith. Like David, have faith and trust. So with every head bowed and I close, if tonight you're saying, Michelle, I need to come back to God. I need to know him for the first time. Why don't you just raise your hand and I'd love to pray for you. Is there anyone in this place? 
Just raise it high. Is there anyone that wants to say yes to Jesus? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your faithfulness. God, we thank you that you are here in this place. God, we thank you that you're calling people to yourselves. God, if there is anyone in here tonight that doesn't know you, God, that in this moment they would turn to you. God, they would turn away from their sin. God, they would turn towards you as a God of life, as a God who gives hope, as a God who brings healing, and as the God who holds their future. In Jesus' name, amen.